This is Jake, a.k.a. Agger. And this is David, also known as Epic7. This is the MTG Tournament Cast. Your one-stop podcast for all your metagame needs. So we're here for our standard segment, and we're looking at the top eight from Star City Games Los Angeles standard portion. So uh, what, do you, what did you see here in this top eight? Well, um, kind of as expected, we have Cobblade highly represented with five decks in the top eight, two of which were, or I'm sorry, one of which was the blue-white-black version piloted by Jerry T. The rest were uh, the original blue-white Cobblade. We also have a interesting blue-black in- infect deck piloted by Brian Kibler and uh, a Valakut list. Also, we have a Tezzeret Forge Master list. Hmm. So, pretty pretty interesting top eight. So let's run down this list here. So uh, the finalist was, uh, I'm sorry, not the winner was Rick Zhu, um, or Zhao, and he uh, had a, what a mainboard life staff. That's pretty interesting. It's been highly contentious on uh, having life staff mainboard these days. Oh yeah, with all the uh, mono reds and mono red and goblins going around, the life staff was definitely a good call. A lot of the decks actually were packing the life staff in either the mainboard or the sideboard. Yeah, we yeah. also, uh, another thing to note, which, uh, is a trend throughout the lists other than Jerry T's, is the inclusion of only one sort of feast and famine in the main board. That was, uh, something that I thought was really surprising, especially since, uh, people who have been doing so well with the decks, such as Jerry T, have been strongly recommending having a second copy of the sword. So, I thought it was very interesting to see, uh, only one copy of the sword throughout a lot of the lists. That is very interesting. Um, we're also seeing more Tomo Magnets being used, as we were talking about last uh, podcast. It's really uh, a great way to fight an equipment metagame. So. Uh, he also had three Firewalkers and two Volition Reigns on the sideboard, so some good hate cards and some good uh, anti-control cards, I guess, there. Mm-hmm. And oh. then... Uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you want to go with Jerry T there? Uh, yes, uh, Jerry T, uh, who's just doing amazing at these Star City Invitationals, uh, reached the finals again with his same exact uh, blue-white-black Cobblade deck. Uh, the only thing to note is that he found a way to fit in one Tectonic Edge in the main board and then a second one in the sideboard. And the only other changes he made other than the Tech Edge were all to the sideboard uh, with the inclusion of Life Staff, Sun Titan, and he removed Memberside, which is something we talked about on the last cast, so... Uh, yeah. I figured as much that he'd probably remove that card once he had more time to uh, flesh out the deck. Yeah, his sideboard looks actually quite a bit different than it did last week. Um, of note, he's still on 61 cards, so we're still going to have to see if it stays that way. Um, also funny, the, the GP winner, which we'll get to later, was actually a 61-card deck too. So, Oh, I hadn't noticed weird? that. Yeah, so uh, we'll keep on going down the list. Brian Kibler's deck, um, he was third. Um, he was blue-black infect, but we're going to talk about that later in a deck tech segment. So let's move on to uh, Barry Wang. Wow. Uh, Barry, I think it's Barry Huang is Wang. how it's pronounced. Uh, he was playing blue-white Callblade. Now this is uh, this deck was kind of the breakout version for the top eight. Uh, it features Mortar Pod in the main board, as well as a package of Tumble Magnets, and then a full uh, four leak three Spell Pierce package, which. Uh, a lot. I've seen a lot of the decks uh, kind of shying away from the counter spells, but apparently they're starting to come back. And then uh, the inclusion of Baneslayer and Lindvala, both as one ofs in the deck, 
was something that uh, I found very surprising. That is very surprising. Um, also to note, you had uh, three Firewalkers and two Journey Nowheres there on a sideboard. And Journey Nowhere is not a car we're seeing from Blue White right now, but uh, yeah, I guess it worked for him. So uh, that looks good. I, I really Indeed. like Mortipod. Mortipod's pretty insane in a format full of uh, Squadron Hawks trying to get equipped and play to GOPs trying to um, uh, land landfall. Yeah. Um, of note, though, this is not a good tournament for Boros at all. Uh, a lot of the uh, Blue Black decks are playing Necropede. The infect decks. So uh, <laughs> Paul Ritzel was a pretty, pretty ticked about that. I saw him on t- uh, Twitter. He was laughing about it. But uh, yeah, um, let's move down to Sam Party. You uh, noted that he had the same mainboard motor pod, uh, extra tumble magnet. So he's up to three there. Uh, heavy counters, uh, counterspell packages, an extra bane slayer, um, another sword in the sideboard, the ouse in the sideboard, a maze in the sideboard as a way to uh, kind of get there against um, Phyrexian Crusader. And Sudden Titan as well. So, what do you think about that? Um, I really like his inclusion of the second sword in the sideboard. Since, I mean, I, I honestly think the deck should have two swords. Just because more and more people are catching on to the deck. And are adapting to uh, the changes in the metagame. So, the fact that I mean, every single one of these lists had some sort of... Uh, artifact enchantment hate uh, in the form of divine offering or something of that sort. Even the maze is technically removal for the sword. Mm-hmm. So with so many decks featuring hate for the sword, I definitely think that including the second sword in the sideboard as well as the sun titan, which can recur the swords, was a smart move on uh, his part. Definitely, definitely. Maze is kind of weird. It's not something you want to use, but sometimes if you're just sitting on extra mana and you're a little bit flooded there, it's good. Great way to buy you some time against Phyrexian Crusaders or sort of creatures, so that's definitely interesting there. Definitely. You want to go over Christian Keith's uh, specialness? Yes, uh, Christian Keith was our one Valakut in the top eight. Uh, one thing to notice about his deck is he runs No Inferno Titan, which has been a card that's been very popular in Valakut lists recently, seeing up to four copies in some decks. However, he opted to play none, in his list, uh, opting for Avenger of Zendikar alongside Primeval Titan as his finishers. Another thing to note is he only had three copies of Explore, which is usually an auto four of for Valakut. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? It, with the prevalence of Spell Pierce maybe coming back up, there there's, there is reason to not use that. Uh, was he using Overgrown Battlements as well? Yes, he had four so, Overgrown Battlements. Yeah, uh, and I'm guessing Colony Heart Expeditions as well, so... Uh-huh. I definitely could see cutting an explore here or there. Uh, he also has three bolt and two slagstorm in the main board to help fight off the aggro decks such as goblins that are becoming more and more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Even sometimes you can actually catch uh, blue white at the right time with slagstorm. It's just a, a beating, but it's generally well, not that great against them. But yeah. Well, it can kill a jace, so that's that's sometimes helpful as well. Yes. And then uh, the sideboard. The oh, sideboard, so uh, that's that's really interesting. It's another way to get control players who are uh, able, feel like they can tap out before you reach six mana. And Koth uh, is a bit of a surprise there. Definitely. And then another thing I found was uh, he only ran two summoning traps in the sideboard. He had three Green Sun Zenith in a main, which is pretty expected for the Valica deck because it gives them more ways to find either ramp creatures on turn two or three, or eventually Primeval Titan. Well, once they reach seven mana, yeah, uh, yeah. but he only and usually the deck uh, swaps in summoning traps against the control matchup 
and they usually have an equal number of summoning traps as they do Green Sun Zenith, so it's a surprise to see him only running two. Maybe he wasn't expecting a lot of counterspells, even though uh, the Cobblade decks have been running four Flash Freeze in just about every sideboard, so the fact that he only has two summoning traps definitely surprises me. I think he would have been better off with at least three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see here. Josh Silvestri, um, he's a channel fireball rider. And, uh, he was running Cobblade. The main deck was the same as Sam's, Sam Party's deck. Um, the sideboard is different with three spreading seas, um, and three firewalkers. So, that's very interesting. Uh, I don't know which matchup you're bringing spreading seas in again, against, except Valakut maybe? Um, he, he might have been expecting a, a large Valakut turnout. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's already a good matchup for the deck, but, um, if you want to, Shore up that matchup, I guess it's fine. It's, he said he didn't lose to Valkyrie all day, so I guess it worked well for him. Um, I don't, I, I don't know if you saw this, but I saw his uh, match against Brian Kibler, and mm-hmm. uh, it seemed like he was making a lot of misplays. And I'm not saying that to be mean to him, because he did really well in the tournament and he was playing one of the best players in the game. But uh, I think he had a good chance of beating Kibler if he had been made made so many uh, misplays there. Yeah, there were a lot of questionable plays that I saw as well when I was watching the matchup, but. Uh, part of me is glad that Kibler uh, pushed it through to the top four, eventually losing to Jerry T. But uh, I, I was really happy to see his blue-black infect deck do so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you want to talk about Edwin? Uh, yeah, before we get to Brian Kibler's list, we'll go over Edwin Garcia, who had the rogue deck of the top eight in Tezzeret Forge Master. Now, this is a similar to the deck that LSV had been testing on his Gauntlet series that we commented on last podcast. Uh, it featured pretty much the standard package of a, the Tezzeret Forge Master deck that Martin Yuza played, uh, at the Pro Tour. It had four, uh, four Tezzeret, four Jace, the Forge Masters, the Tutor Targets of Mere Battlesphere, Mindslaver, and, uh, Blightsteel Colossus. Uh, it featured a discard package, it featured counterspells. I mean, it was, it's a pretty standard uh, Tezzeret Forge Master list. The only really big point out, or card to point out, would be a one of Blue Sun Zenith in the main board, uh, that I assume he had because he could power out Chalices and Sphere of the Sun so quickly that if the game went long, he could just refill his hand and then shuffle it back. Yeah, that is definitely interesting to note. Um, with a deck with so much ramp, um, you, you, sometimes you just run out of, uh, you have too much mana and not enough things to do with it. And Zenith always gives you that option of, a uh, Spilling all your mana into to card advantage there. Definitely, definitely. Having played a Smitty's Tezzeret the Mindhammer deck at SCG Dallas, I can definitely attest to the fact that having a lot of mana and having nothing to do with it isn't very fun. So uh, I think that might be a a good one of in that deck because they can dig so deep, and so once they have you know chalices set to three and Sphere of the Suns with counters on them, they can just refill their hand and keep going. Yes, yes. Okay, so let's move on to our deck tech here with uh, Blue Black Infect by Brian Kibler. This is a sort of control slash aggro deck. It's not either of them. Uh, it's playing counter spells, but it's also playing aggressive creatures. So I'm going to run over the uh, main board here, and we'll comment on that. Four Contagion Clasp, four Tumble Magnet, four Necropede, four Phyrexian Crusader, one Deprive, one Into the Royal, four Mana Leak, Two Scytherix, two Jace Bellerin, four Inquisition of Kozilek, four Preordain. And those are the spells. So what do you think about some of these card choices? 
Well, the four Inquisition and four Preordained are pretty standard for the blue and black deck. Uh, the Preordained helps him filter his draws, find his Crusaders, his Scytherix, his Jace, etc. Uh, as while the Inquisition can hold off opponents, take out their Squadron Hawks, their Stone Forges, their Swords, what have you. Uh, the Jace, he decided with Jace Bellerin as opposed to Jace the Mind Sculptor, mainly so he could get his Jace out a turn sooner than yeah, his opponents, yeah. which ended up being a pretty big deal when I watched his uh, top eight matchup against Josh Silvestri. Uh, playing exactly. Jace on turn two stopped Silvestri from playing his on turn four, and he then had to waste a turn attacking into the Jace just to get rid of it, and it... It slowed him down, which is exactly what Kibler wanted to do with this deck and something he definitely wanted to take advantage of. One thing I noticed is his deck is really mana-hungry. He's got a lot of activated abilities on the board with Contagion Clasp and uh, Scytherix Regeneration Mana. So even having one less mana on his Jace is also an important thing to note there, too. Definitely, definitely. So he's got a full package of Mana Leak um, uh, supplemented by one Deprive. And the uh, misers into the royal, just as a way to get people, you know, when they're not looking for looking towards it. Definitely. Uh, of note, he also has, or we'll, we'll we'll talk about that when we get to the sideboard. The uh, his his lack of that mother in the main board, which was yeah. something that his original list had, but apparently he decided to move to the sideboard. I felt that his original list is always was more of a tier one point five deck, or even a tier two deck, but I think this has been tuned well enough to it's a tier one deck and it's still got room to grow um he's still developing it so that's definitely interesting there uh, the contagion clasps seem fine in a format full of one ones um just sticking it hitting the squadron hawk is just fine value with that card and proliferating your opponent's uh, poison counters or tumble magnet uh, charge counters is fine and necropede is just really annoying for a lot of decks to deal with especially boros definitely yeah well, the Contagion class also, uh, I've seen him put it, uh, put a counter on a Stoneforge Mystic, making it a 0-1, and then when he just happens to proliferate, he can kill it as well, but kind of neutering that uh, Stoneforge Mystic is also powerful as well. Yes, it is. Um, and then again, the most important, one of the most important cards in the deck, probably the, one of the reasons why you can run this deck, Phyrexian Crusader, who has protection from format, as we have said before. <laughs> It's yes, crazy, uh, so. Pricing Crusader is really well positioned right now. I think he has the potential to make decks like this viable just because pro red and pro white are so huge right now. Okay, so I'll run over the base, the, the lands real quick and um, then we'll go on the sideboard. Uh, four islands, six swamp, four creeping tar pit, four dark slick shore, four down, drowned catacomb, four ink moth nexus. I mean, that's just. The most basic thing. The only thing you can try to think about is Tectonic Edge. I just don't think you're going to want it with all the black and blue mana symbols you want in the deck. Uh, it seems pretty standard to me, creeping tarpets there to mess with your opponent's planeswalkers. Uh, yes, I actually... The only time I ever saw a tarpet activation was to kill an opposing Jace, which, I mean, that that's reason alone. I know Martin Yuzo, when he played his Tezzeret Forgemaster deck, they didn't include creeping tarpet because it came into play tapped, but I, from the get-go, said that that was a mistake because having an, a tar pit active the turn after your opponent plays Jace can make them have to 
play around it, so they may have to plus two their Jace as opposed to brainstorming, which lets them see less cards. Mm-hmm. And if they plus two it, you can always play your own Jace, and you can trade for one for one instead of letting them get a brainstorm off, brainstorm off there. Definitely. Okay, so uh, you want to run over the sideboard here real quick? Uh, yeah, we have three Perexian Vatmother, three Disfigure, two Doomblade, two Flash Freeze, one Go for the Throat, one Into the Royal, one Jace Bellerin, and two Duress. Uh, do you have any comments on so that? So I see, I see he's got the Flash Freeze as a, uh, a nod to Valkut there. Um, I'm not sure which matchups he brings in Vatmother. I think he brings it in against Mono Red and a few other decks, but, uh, that definitely looks like it could do some work in some matchups. Um, I can assume, I can, yeah, I can assume that that mother is in there for the aggro matchups. Although I was talking to Lewis Laskin, who played a very similar blue-black infect deck at SCG Dallas, and he had really nothing good to say about that mother, basically comparing it to Abyssal Persecutor at the same mana cost. He said that if a four mana six six flyer with trample isn't being played right now, a four mana four five that just kind of sits there also is it going to be very effective, especially when they can just Squadron Hawk block it all day. Yeah. So I'm not a huge fan of the Vat Mother. I personally think that he would have been better off with maybe more Flash Freezes uh, because Blue Black has usually had problems with Valakut or maybe even more removal or uh, hate for the format. I think that mother's good in the decks against the decks that can't generate tons of blockers like mono red. Um, and they can generate a lot of blockers, but if they're blocking, they're not winning the game. With if they're blocking the goblin guy, they're just not winning games. So that's definitely um, interesting there. Um, and the main deck, Berks uh, and Crusaders, are just so insane. Uh, it's like core Firewalker times ten <laughs> in this format. With, <laughs> So many decks just groan as soon as they see that Frexing Crusader and Frexing Batmother seems like it would be fine to backing up the Crusader there. Um, so the rest of it seems pretty standard there. Uh, what do you think about this deck overall? Uh, I really like it. I think that there's a lot of potential for this type of deck. I think if Infect is going to work, it's going to be in this fashion where they just gr- slowly grind out the game with a combination of Crusader and Scytherix and Ink Moth Nexus, being able to put, you know, a few poison counters on at a time, and then just using Contagion Clasp and Tumble Magnet and counter spells to hold off your opponent and just kind of slowly grind out a win. Although I have seen the you know Scytherix kill kill, like two swings they're dead. Uh so the the deck definitely has the ability to win quickly, but I also think it's well-positioned to just kind of sit back and uh, hold hold its own while they slowly tick you up, maybe a counter to a turn. Yeah, if, uh, if you've seen the turn three Crusader, turn four Crusader, that's a pretty fast clock. It's pretty hard to deal with sometimes, so that's definitely interesting there. Um, let's see here. I think it's a, I think it's still a tier, I think it's a tier one deck. But I do not think it has a favorable matchup against Cobblade. I think that Brian Kibler beat Cobblade on his skill, mostly. I don't think it's a horrible matchup, but I think Cobblade still has an advantage in this matchup. So um, it's interesting to look at this deck, but I don't think it's the top deck of the format right now. Oh, I completely agree with you there. I think that Cobblade, which is now including both Day of Judgment and Tumble Magnet, 
is going to have plenty of ways to fight off an early Crusader or Necropede and then just do what it does best at grinding out wins. So I, I think this deck is good. I think it's definitely something that with enough evolution could end up being at the top of the format. But the way things look right now, I think Callblade still uh, has a very good matchup in against this blue-black infect deck. Definitely, definitely. So the other thing that happened this weekend, I actually didn't know about it until today, was a GP to- was a GP in Barcelona. It was standard. Um, they had a thousand two hundred players, so it was pretty huge. And I didn't even know about it until today. Um, let's run over the top eight here. Well, in the top eight, we have two blue black control decks, which is something we want to comment on a bit later. Uh, blue black control is a deck that has not been seen really in the past couple of months, so it's uh, it's made sort of a comeback, at least in the European circuit. We also had two blue-white-black Callblade decks, both of which featured very interesting tech. One had a three-hero-of-bladehold package, while the other featured Tezzeret, uh, and alongside the Tezzeret it had four Tumble Magnet, a Bone Horde, uh, a Venser, and also it played four duress over four inquisition, which was something I thought was very interesting. And then we also had two rug decks and two Valica decks. So the interesting so, thing to note here, I was thinking as a, um, these blue black decks, and these aren't poison decks. These are old school blue black decks. The only thing that's new about them is a uh, magnet in one. The other one doesn't even run tell magnet. So this is pretty crazy. Um, actually, one of my favorite European players, Guillaume Wafatapo, was one of the ones that ran blue-black, and he's famous for running blue-black decks. And his deck got two Liliana Vests in there. That is a big surprise to me. Uh, we, I thought we'd seen the last of Liliana Vests for quite a while, but uh, here she is popping up again. This is pretty crazy. Most definitely, yeah. There's uh, two Doomblade, two Duress, two Go for the Throat, four Inquisition, four Jace, two Liliana, four Manalik, four Preordain, two Ratchet Bomb, four Spreading Season, two Stoic Rebuttal, as the spells in uh, Wafatapa's deck. Uh, for his creatures, he ran two Grave Titan, and then he ran a pretty standard blue-black mana base with Creepy Tar Pit, Dark Slick Shores, Drowned Catacombs, and four Tectonic Edge with an assortment of islands and swamps and then two fetch lands uh, to use with Jace to find uh, the islands and the swamps. And then the sideboard, a card to note from the board, is Precursor Golem, who is known in the rug decks and was in fact featured in both the rug decks that top aided, but uh, it's definitely a surprise to see it out of the sideboard here in the blue-black deck. Yeah, that's crazy. And the winner was also a blue-black player as well. So this is actually quite different than the um, Americans' tournaments. So I wonder if um, there's just a different meta game there, or if one of the, either your America or Europe is a higher head in tech. I'd really like to see our top eight versus their top eight, but uh, who knows? Um, we'll have to take a look at it over the coming weeks, but definitely know that blue-black is a player again, it seems, and um, rug is still in there as well. So um, It'll be interesting to see how things turn out in GP Dallas when some of the uh, European players, if they do decide to travel, uh, it'll be interesting to see if we see a blue-black deck in the top eight or if the heavily Callblade-influenced American metagame will uh, take over and just define the tournament like it's been doing at the Star City events. Yeah, and we got to keep an eye on Hero Bladehold, as you said. That's pretty crazy. Um, uh, we were talking about it last week. And although the deck with Hero Bladehold also ran Jace the Mind Sculptor this week, 
it seems that Hero Bladehold is becoming an interesting choice, at least. So definitely keep well, an eye on that. Well, I think the fact that if they don't kill it before you untap, you get at least two tokens out of it. Yeah. So the fact that just alone it can either draw a removal spell or it can gain you two possible sword creatures is pretty powerful. And then the fact that it attacks for three, seven. Four, yeah, seven damage by itself is insane. It's a very fast clock. It's like a mini Grave Titan that's just not quite as good, but a lot cheaper. <laughs> well, it works um, really well with, as you stated last week, it works really well with Squatter Hawks. Yes, yes. Um, and there, there's a two Valkyrie there, so Valkyrie is still on the radar as well here. So, um, Does that wrap up our GP Top 8 coverage? I believe so, yeah. Okay, so we'll move on to the Legacy segment. So we're here for the Legacy segment, and um, right now the tournament is still going on. It's going on pretty late here. Um, I guess they're in Los Angeles, though, so I guess it's not as late for them over there. Um, so tell me about the uh, top eight there, David. All right, uh, so I'm looking at the top eight. This is, of course, Star City Open LA. And in the top eight, we have something very interesting that uh, I feel like needs to be pointed out. Only one archetype in this top eight is repeated from last week's top eight. Uh, that one archetype being Merfolk. Every, the other seven archetypes in this top eight are completely different from what we saw last week. Also of note, the top eight featured eight individual decks. There was no repeat archetype in the top eight. So just running it down real quick, we have a Painter Servant deck, we have a Burn deck, we have an Ad Nauseum deck, we have a Charbelcher deck, which I thought was very surprising. We haven't seen much from Charbelcher lately. Uh, we have a Cephalid Breakfast deck, a Merfolk deck, again, as I said earlier, and then a Dredge deck. And Dredge happens to be what I think uh, the breakout deck of the tournament with four in the top 16, whereas last week it was almost unheard of for a Dredge deck to be up that high. I think there may have been one in the top 16 last week. So of all the archetypes in the top 16, Dredge oh, there's is... There's also Elves there. You. Elves. There is Elves. I did forget to mention Elves. Um... But yeah, of the top 16, Dredge is the most represented, so I would definitely expect some sideboard hate for next week. Yeah, I think Dredge definitely plays the uh, role that Mono Red plays in Standard. It's If you don't see a lot of it, expect, a lot, expect it next tournament, because when people don't, don't, don't prepare for it, it starts to do well. Of note, five of these decks are combo decks. Um, normally Elves is a combo deck, but from what I heard, this one was a... Um, actually, an aggro version of elves, but um, five combo decks—that's pretty crazy as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm actually really surprised not to see any Team America decks in this top 16. Uh, Team America has been the dominating force in Legacy, uh, especially on Magic Online. I mean, I I play that deck, or I play against that deck probably one out of three matches. So the fact that it was so dominating last week and is now non-existent this week, just shows how Legacy is such a fast-evolving format. And even though it's, you know, it's an eternal format, so you would think that, you know, there would just be some of some good decks that are always good. As we can see here, the format does shift a lot. What was his name? Adrian Sullivan, the, uh, one of the commentators, is telling us that um, the best decks in Legacy don't reach 10% 
of the field. That's how open the format is. So that is definitely interesting to note that because of the format's openness, it's really going to be rare, even with the best deck being, like you said, a, a Team America deck. Sometimes it just won't breach the field there. So that's definitely interesting. Yeah, definitely. And another uh, surprising thing, I've I've been looking over uh, past top eights of the Star City Open Legacy Series, and I mean every week there's a new deck that is on top. I mean whether it be uh, a combo deck or I mean I saw Black White Tempo used to be really popular not even a month ago. Uh, just so many different variations and changes are made to this format on a weekly basis that it, it's just it's ever evolving and it's in my opinion one of the most interesting formats to watch because uh whereas standard has been fairly normal over the past month where you've had Callblade and then a couple of various rogue archetypes or lesser represented archetypes uh legacy has just been wide open i mean you never know what to expect I mean, Collie Woods played a uh, an aggro affinity list that would equip cranial plating to a infect creature and just deal you 10 damage right away. So, That's I mean, you, you can see anything in this format. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, speaking of anything, burn came in here too, so that's really interesting. The bad thing for uh, Patrick Sullivan with his burn deck is that he's in the format with five, <laughs> he was in a top eight with five combo decks, and uh, he definitely lost a match on turn one to one of those combat com- combo decks. It was pretty funny. Uh, he went Mountain, Goblin Guide, go. His opponent, turn one, combo, good game. Uh, that was just <laughs> pretty funny there. Um, yeah, one of the, the red deck. <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of the big problems with the mono-red burn strategies in Legacy is that they don't have much in the form of hate yeah. for the various combo decks. So, uh, yeah, something like that can happen where he just says land, Goblin Guide go and then just loses. Yeah. Uh, there's not much he can do. The disruption's limited to what, like, Hydro, uh, Pyroblast and Red Elemental Blast and Mindbreak Trap, and I don't even think any of those are good choices. I'm not sure if he had them, but, uh, we, I guess we can check right here. Um, he had, uh, he had Red, Ele- Red Elemental Blast and Pyroblast. Yeah, Red and Pyro, uh, so. He also had Price and Progress, which, if the game goes long, is usually pretty good against, uh, a lot of decks just because, the amount of non-basic lands in the format is huge. Yeah, it, I don't even think it needs to go that long. It's basically two damage to your opponent for each land in play, and that's fine on turn three. I mean, six damage, or even turn turn two is fine, usually, for four damage, so it's definitely good there. Most decks don't run basics except for the uh, outs to wasteland, so definitely interesting there. Um, so the finals is still going on. It's between Cephalid Breakfast and the um, Painter Servant deck. And they're uh, still working on it for the third game. They're grinding it out here. So um, we don't know who's going to win that one, but uh, it's definitely interesting to see here. Yeah, I, I like your uh, grinding it out pun there since the Painter Servant deck does play Grindstone. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely uh, like how... Nice little, nice little pun there. Yeah. Um, just just to note the decks real quick, uh, the Painter Stone deck is the blue-red... Uh, grindstone, Lion's Eye Diamond, Painter Servant, Goblin Welder type deck with uh, Force of Wills and Intuitions to uh, dig for your combo and then protect your combo. Uh, nothing really of note 
in the deck. There is there are three uh, Emrakul, the Aeons Torn, and three Show and Tell in the sideboard, which I thought was pretty interesting. So post sideboard, he can kind of shift his focus and bring in the Show and Tell combo uh, for an alternate win condition. And as for the Cephalid Breakfast player, his list looks pretty normal, pretty much what you would expect from the Cephalid Breakfast archetype, which I'm not too familiar with, but I know the uh, the combo is pretty pretty cool. Like, you can get turn two, turn three wins yeah. on pretty easily on average. You mill your whole deck, and then you um, reanimate a... Uh a Karmic Guide off of Dread Return and Narcomibas to get back a Kikijiki, copy the Karmic Guide, and get a Sky Hussar, and that is game. Because you get infinite, hasty, flying dudes. Okay, so it's kind of like the Kikijiki... Yeah, it just runs at Kikijiki uh, combo, and you just mill your whole deck with the Illusionist. Okay, so it's it's like Kikijiki Pestermite, but obviously easier to get running... Because yeah. Legacy has the uh, the mill mechanic. Yeah, the, it's definitely a pretty insane mechanic between those two. He also has five ways to um, five encore creatures that can uh, turn on his, his illusionist for infinite mill. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so um, you got anything else to talk about for this Legacy segment? Um, not really. We're not. Uh, I, I was kind of waiting to see if we could get a winner before we had to cut it off here, but uh, yeah, I mean, the format is definitely completely different from last week. I don't have any recommendations for a deck. Um, all I have to say is I would not play a graveyard deck next week if you were going to play Legacy because chances are people are going to react and play a lot more graveyard hate. I mean, just looking at the top 16, there are uh, quite a few graveyard-based decks, whether it be Cephalid Breakfast, Dredge, or even a uh, blue-green Vengevine deck that made its way into the top 16. Yeah. Um, so any any deck that heavily revolves around the graveyard, I, I would advise you to stay away from. Yeah, it's so, definitely. But other than that, definitely an interesting. I, I love Intuition Vengevine. That's just so beautiful. <laughs> but definitely. definitely. Um, so I think we'll wrap this up here and we'll move into our final segment. So we're here for the final segment, and we're going to be going over a few things here. Um, we're going to have a mail segment here, but uh, we don't have any mail yet because we haven't released this to the public yet. We're also going to be giving a question of the week. Um, do you want to go over what the question of the week is, David? Uh, sure. The question of the week is, how do you feel about Cobblade's dominance in Standard right now? And I'll do you tell have any, you uh, comments on that? Yeah, yeah, I'll tell you. I, I, really, I really enjoy it right now as opposed to a lot of other decks like Jund. Um, when it comes to Cobblade, you were giving some stats earlier that it's not even that far ahead of Valkyrie right now, and that's partially due to the amount of skill you need for the mirror matches and for certain matchups overall. I think it's considerably more skill-intensive than other heavy dominant decks in the format, and I think this might be the most skill-intensive deck in the format as it is right now. What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I definitely think that Cobblade is probably the most skill-intensive deck of recent Magic history to be the top deck. I mean, we saw Valakut 
up until a couple months ago being the biggest deck, and that was known as an autopilot deck. Uh, you just play Primeval Titan and win. Uh, before that, we had Jund as the best deck, which was also known as a very, uh, I guess, autopilot list, because all you did is cast Bloodbraid Elf, and you would just win the game. Yeah. So the fact that the best deck in the format is not only a control deck, which is a strategy that I tend to like very much, and I'm sure you like as well, but also is a very skill-intensive deck, I think is really good because unlike Jund or Valakut, where people can just show up and take down a tournament, to take down a tournament with Kago means that you actually have to know the deck and be a good player. You're not going to see just some random Joe off the side of the road playing Callblade to a first place victory at a tournament. You're going to see people like Jerry T and AJ Soccer and Edgar Flores, people who know the deck and who have played the deck for weeks and weeks. Uh, they're going to be the ones who are taking down these tournaments. Exactly. The way I like to think of it nowadays is um, I don't like to consider any of the decks like Jund or Valkute purely autopilot, but what I do like to say is that they have a very um, small edge to be gained with extra skill. Like, you can be perfect with a deck in a mirror match, and you sometimes you just lose to bad luck on the other Bad luck because your less than perfect opponent just drew well. And when it comes to decks like Hawblade, luck plays less of a factor in those matchups. So I'm really enjoying how skillful this deck is in best deck in standard right now. So that's definitely interesting there. I wanted to give away a Elspeth on MTGO, um, one of the ones from the dual decks. It's worth roughly 11 to $10 on a lot of these sites online as a way to promote our uh, first podcast. And um, I'm thinking that we should do it to where people find out what happened in our last podcast, which will not be on um, MTG Cast because it was not high quality, but um, I have it up on a uh, different website here. Um, so tell them what they're going to be looking for, David. All right. So in our first cast, our trial cast, I gave a little story about when I was in GP Dallas where I met Jerry Thompson, of whom I am a big fan. And uh, to win the contest or to be eligible for the contest, you have to go back, listen to the cast, and then find out what it was that Jerry T did that got me so excited. And so you can, you can find that podcast at um, http uh, colon double slash jake underscore antonets dot podbean dot com. That's where I hosted our first podcast. So. That is where you'll find it, um, and leave send us an email, and we will pick randomly from the people who send us the e- send us emails this week. Um, we also should give away our email address. Uh, you want to give that out, David? Yes, it is our newly created email address. It is mtgtournamentcast at gmail dot com. That's mtgtournamentcast that. at gmail dot com. All right, all right. So let's move on to shoutouts. We had a short uh, week here since we just recorded a couple days ago. So what shoutouts do you want to do, David? Um, shout out to Sandy Dog MTG. He's a real big moto grinder. He's qualified for Worlds actually through the uh, Magic Online Championship Series. He is he has been one of the biggest advocates of the Goblins deck that uh, my friend David Gonzalez, of whom I shouted out last week. Uh, you he got his deck list from Sandy Dog MTG 
And, uh, yeah, Sandy Dog is just an awesome player and uh, an inspiration, in my opinion, because he's actually handicapped. So the fact that he does so well in Magic and is able to overcome that adversity that he faces is really awesome. So big shout-out to him. Any other ones besides that? Uh, Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay, well, I'd like to give shout-outs to um, Uzman first, Uzman. Uh, he got his, uh, an article up on Star City Games. That's really nice. Oh, um, yeah. Congrats to him. Yeah. Uh, second shout-outs for Limited Resources. They mentioned me on their last podcast. I really appreciated that. So um, they're definitely a great podcast to listen to. And finally, the A-Team. You got to give a shout-out to them last week. And pretty insane podcast. One of my favorite podcasts on the web right now. So definitely, definitely. want a shout-out to them. Okay, so um, let's find out where we can contact you and me. Uh, you want to go first? Uh, sure. Uh, well, as we said earlier, we have our new email address up, which is, uh, I'll repeat it one more time for you guys, mtgtournamentcast at gmail.com. There are uh, no backs, or no underscores or dots or anything, just mtgcast, mtgtournamentcast at gmail.com. Uh, as for me personally, you can reach me through Twitter, twitter.com slash decampa93 or at decampa93. And how about you, Jake? And you can reach me at Jake Antonetz. That's at Jake, A-N-T-O-N-E-T-Z. So I think that's going to wrap up our final segment for this week. Um, you got anything else to say? Uh, did you want to talk about what deck you recommend for next week? Oh, definitely. That's a good point, and I'm, <laughs> I can't believe we missed it on the show notes. I'm definitely a big fan. If you have the skill and have the cards, play Cobblade. But... um. Other decks to consider would be Blue Black, um, Infect. If it, it's a little bit more budget, and still takes a little, quite a bit of skill, but uh, definitely those are my two favorite decks going into the next week. Uh, do you recommend a variation of Cobblade, the Spark Blade, or the Blue White Black, or just traditional? I'm I'm recommending um, Blue White Black. I, I really like the options and the skill that is derived from having so many options in the Blue White Black version. Alright, um, I definitely, I would also recommend the blue-white-black deck if you have the skill, if you've been playing with the deck. Um, a deck I actually wouldn't recommend would be Goblins because so many decks are packing Core Firewalker and other Red Hate. So I feel that at least for this next week, playing a mono-red deck would be a mistake, especially if Brian Kibler's Infect deck gets more people playing it because it has the mainboard Phyrexian Crusader and the sideboard Phyrexian Vat Mother, which are just brutal against Mono Red. So I definitely would not recommend Mono Red, but I would recommend either the Blue White Black Cobblade or Nia Vengevine. I think Nia Vengevine is pretty well positioned in the meta right now. That's a good point. I think Nia Vengevine does pretty well against... Um a uh, blue-black poison deck. I haven't actually thought about the matchup too much, but it seems like it would do well. I think the biggest loser from this last week is Boros. Um, with Necropede seeing it uh, showing up in the format and Phyrexian Crusader, it's just sad times for Boros. Yeah, definitely. Boros and Mono Red are the two decks that you should probably avoid if you're going to be at the next Star City event or another large standard tournament. So I think that'll wrap us up uh, if I didn't miss anything. Uh, I think we're good to go. Okay, so uh, have a good week. All right, bye, guys.